jump into this morning again. Welcome to Alger Assembly of God and welcome to our series entitled Text, TXT, looking at some of those powerful uh, texts and scriptures found in the Word of God. So far we've looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, Romans 8 28, and Matthew chapter 7 verse 7. So I want to invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. It's a rather familiar verse of Scripture. It's one that uh, we hear quite a bit, and certainly as we relate it to our, our nation, to our world, to so many of the things that are going on, this is a, a powerful text for you and I today. So 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and while you're finding that in uh, your Word of God, your copy uh, in uh your cell phone and your tablet, your paper copy of God's Word. Uh, the second book of Chronicles records the construction of the temple and it's under the direction of King Solomon. Uh, King Solomon's uh, temple was finally complete. There was the work of 70,000 laborers, 80,000 stonecutters, and 3,600 foremen were used. Pure gold covered parts of the interior and precious inlaid stones sparkled. The Ark of the Covenant inhabited the Holy of Holies. Only the presence of God was missing. In chapter 6, King Solomon knelt down before God's people. He, he spread out his hands toward heaven, and he broke out into an amazing prayer of dedication. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple because... It was so full of God's glory. Now, after offering a huge sacrifice, 22,000 head of cattle, 120,000 sheep and goats, Solomon and all the people dedicated the temple to God. After <coughs> celebrating and praising God for over two weeks, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 10 says that the people went back to their homes joyful and glad in heart. Later that night, the Lord appears to Solomon and told him that his prayers had been heard. So that's the immediate context for our text in our series text. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It's probably where you anticipated us going today. It reads like this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So today we'll take a look at this, this central truth that God's people following God's plan will receive God's promises. So I invite you to, to jump into the Word of God, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, as we look at that thought today. See, first of all, we must become God's people. It begins by saying, if my people, who are called by my name, and we'll take a look literally at verse by verse, word by word, phrase by phrase through this entire scripture, but it begins with a powerful two-letter word called if. It's a conditional clause, if my people. 
That's, that's how it begins. We want all of the blessings, we want all of the benefits found at the end of the verse, but it starts with this conditional statement, if. God says, if we are his people. God says, if we follow his plan, then we can be sure to receive the blessings and benefits and promises that God has, has uh, promised to us. You see, this word if, it implies that there are options for us. There's an action required on our part. It, this is not an automatic thing where we just say, God is definitely, no matter what, he is just going to bless and bless anyone and everyone, no matter what takes place. It starts with a condition. It's the conditional word of if. We've got to make a decision, and certainly that, that decision needs to be to become God's people, to become a child, to become a son or a daughter of God, that He is our Lord, our Savior, that our lives are grounded and founded in Him. He says, if my people, the instructions here, these are for God's people, so we've got to become God's people. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 reads like this, But you are a chosen generation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, wonderful light. You see, becoming his people, becoming a child of God, that is a choice that you and I must make. He can't make it for us. He gives us that opportunity. He gives us the, uh, the assurance of, of what we will be as a child of God, but it's up to you and it's up to me to surrender our heart, to surrender our life, and to become truly a child of God. We're called out of darkness and into his marvelous life. He has, through his son Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross of Calvary, provided the opportunity of forgiveness. That the past life, the past life that you were involved in, the past life that I was involved in, all of those things can be left in the past, and we can be cleansed, we can be forgiven, we can be freed, we truly can become a child of God. We must become God's people. He says, if my people who are called by my name, as a Christian, if, if you have surrendered your heart, if you've surrendered your life to God, you are a Christian. That is, uh, that's a term. It's a follower of Jesus Christ. We belong to him and we should live like and act like those who bear and wear his name. See, Alexander the Great was a great military general, and it's been said that one night he couldn't sleep. He was out with his troops. He went out walking and unfortunately discovered a soldier who was on guard duty, but asleep. Big consequences, no doubt, uh, from this general, Alexander the Great. As he walks up and wakes up this soldier, this guard on duty, he asks him his name. And the name surprised him. He said, my name is Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great 
bellows back to this soldier, this guard on duty. He says, either change your name or change your conduct. You see, he did not want somebody with his name not living up to it. For you and I, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've become part of God's people, then you and I, we need to live exactly as God is desiring us to live. And so it begins, this process from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 10, it, it begins with becoming God's people. You see, God's people who follow God's plan will receive God's promises. So we must become God's people. But secondly, we must follow God's plan. God says this, if my people who are called by my name will do what? And he lists a number of things, a, a number of components of his plan. He says, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Those are the things that are the components of God's plan. You see, God's plan involves humility. That first step is to humble ourselves. We're not to wait for somebody else to come and to humble us. Let us voluntarily humble ourselves. James 4, 6 puts it like this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, many times we can tend to overestimate our goodness and underestimate our sin. We, we tend to think of ourselves so much more highly than we ought. And as such, many times we have an inflated view. We have a rather prideful view of self. And both James, as well as 2 Chronicles here, talks about humility. God himself says we must humble ourselves. Pride can many times leak in and humility many times can leak out. We must, we must deal, with, uh, deal with our pride and, and live in a source and a sense of humility. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves. Not to, not to wait until something happens and we are humbled and or humiliated, but let us humble ourselves. Let us kind of push the pride down. Let us raise the humility up in the sight and in the presence of God to humble ourselves. God's plan involves humility. God's plan also involves prayer. He says that we must humble ourselves and pray. Prayer is a key component of, of receiving from the Lord. We, we spent some time, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, asking and seeking and knocking, and it, it involves prayer. One person said this, when there is no prayer, there is no power. Where there is little prayer, there is little power. Where there is much prayer, there is much power. God's plan involves humility. God's plan involves prayer. 
And if we desire revival, if we desire uh, the blessings and the promises of God in, in our bodies, in our lives, in our families, in our, in our church, in our communities, uh, our state, our nation, our world, we've got to be men and women of prayer. God's the one who is able to give us the answers that we need in a day and age such as today that we live in. Facing the, uh, the battles of COVID, facing the battles of politics, facing the battles of our culture and, and society, we need God's hand. And part of God's plan is humility and prayer. When people pray, God responds, God moves, God desires to answer our prayers. Many times we're, we're just waiting. We're waiting. We're, we're waiting for God to move on our behalf. But perhaps, perhaps God is waiting on you and I to pray. So part of that plan is humility. Part of that plan involves prayer. But God's plan also involves seeking his face. He says, if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek my face. It's an interesting phrase. It's often used of desiring an audience with God himself, not, not just the face. Maybe you've heard different ones who would say, oh, I miss your face. What they mean is, I, I miss you. I miss being with you. And, and I could say that myself. I, I miss your face. I miss spending some time and worshiping together with you. God says, seek my face, not, not just the face. Seek, seek me. Seek that relationship with me. Seek the audience with me. It's to really to align ourselves with God, to align ourselves with his will, to align ourselves with his kingdom purposes. Are we able to get our will lined up with his Many times we've got that backwards. We try to force God's will and, and, and try to make sure that his will is really what we want rather than seeking God and seeking his will. And so to seek his face, it's, it's to spend time with him. It's to seek the audience with him, but it's truly to seek after his will. This desire of seeking uh, the idea carries with it the importance and uh, the desire for something truly of incredible value. You look in, uh, in Luke, woman had the lost coin or the shepherd with the lost sheep. And there are so many different situations, people who have lost something and they are seeking it. See, when we seek something, we're persistent. We, we mentioned about that. Uh, last time together in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, about asking and seeking and knocking. Jesus said, seek and you will find. In Jeremiah 29, 13, he says that when we seek God with our whole heart, we will find him. And so God's plan involves humility. God's plan involves prayer. God's plan involves seeking his face. God's plan involves turning from our wicked ways. See, it's truly a, a true test of biblical repentance. It's, it's making that complete 180 degree shift. I've mentioned different times uh, throughout ministry, the, uh, the first place of ministry as a youth pastor, our youth ministry name was 
I 180, and, and it carries this idea that I have made a 180. I, I've, I've repented, I've turned my life, I've turned from sin, and I've turned to God. And God desires that we would repent, that we would turn from our wicked ways. Are we willing to do that, to, in, to seek and receive those blessings of God that we so desire? God's people in the Old Testament many times had turned their backs on God. The Israelites had forsaken God. They sought after all kinds of other gods of, of the nations that were uh, around them, gave themselves to Molech, Baal, and other fake and false gods. They practiced animal sacrifice and child sacrifice, giving in to uh, the nations and the lands that were nearby. They would break the commands of God, and as a result, their land was filled with sin. Now, we might not have some of those same lands, we might not have some of those same types of things, but no doubt you and I and, and our land, we see that we have that same tendency. We can be prone to follow idols, maybe not some of the physical idols, but things that, that come in place of our walk and in, our, in place of our relationship with God. Anything that keeps us from what God desires is a wicked way. We are to turn from those things. There's no way to soften the command to turn from wicked ways, to repent, to get rid of the worthless and evil and sinful things in our lives. He, he demands that we would turn from it. We can tend to rationalize sin. We can tend to excuse sin. We can tend to compare ourselves with others. And when we compare ourselves, we're always able to find someone who seems to do more bad things than us. So in comparison with this individual, him or her, we seem to kind of lift ourselves up and we feel like we're doing pretty good, but we're not to compare ourselves with others. Ultimately, we're to be more and more like the image of Jesus Christ, God's Son, perfect, spotless, and sinless. When we do that comparison, we fall, we fail in comparison. So let's not try to find uh, someone else who seems to be doing worse than us so that we can justify or rationalize away the wicked things, the evil things, the sinful things that we are doing uh, and, and being a part of. When we compare ourselves with others, we don't seem to be that bad. And, and maybe like the Israelites, compared to other, uh, other lands or other nations, maybe they didn't seem to be quite as sinful. Let us compare ourselves to the holy and to the righteous God. So we we turn from our sin, we repent of it by admitting it and abandoning it. Not just to say, well, I've done wrong. Boy, that's a shame. Let me keep doing wrong now that I'm aware of it. It's not just being aware of the sin. It's repenting, it's admitting, and turning from it, turning to God. As long as we're hanging on to sin, He can't open up the heavens and pour out those blessings upon us. We must recognize and repent of our sins. Many times, many people don't get better because they don't follow the advice of the doctor, the, the physician. 
For you and I, we must follow the wisdom and instructions of our Heavenly Father. Malachi 3.7 says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. See, we, we can't reverse that order. God says, repent. God says, return to me. And then in response, yes, I will return to you. Too many times people are, are waiting on God to move, but we've got to turn or for some return to him, confess, ask that cleansing and forgiveness to be applied. So you see, God's people who are following God's plan will receive God's promises. We, we start by making sure that we are God's people, surrendering our hearts and our lives to him. Second, we follow God's plan. It's, it's a plan of humility, and it's a plan of prayer. It's a plan of seeking his face and turning from our wicked ways. Then thirdly, we receive God's promises. And, and this is the part of the verse that, that we love to focus on. This is the part of the verse that we love to kind of camp out and say, yes, God, let us experience these things. At the end of this verse, he says, if my people who are called by my name will take part in the plan, humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then here's what God promises to do. He says, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. God promises to hear. God promises to hear our prayers. We don't have to worry about trying to get a hold of God and, and grasp his attention. God's not deaf. He, he knows the things that we seek and ask for even before we say it. He's one who de delights in hearing the prayers of his children. Psalm 121.4 says, Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. If we are God's people, Following God's plan, he has promised to hear us. But he's also promised to forgive. He says, I will forgive their sin. That is a powerful promise. Psalm 103, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. God's the only one who can cleanse and forgive and restore and, and make us clean. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, and, and he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God isn't saying we've got to do good works to earn it. There's no way to earn it. We confess, we repent, we, we turn from the sin and we turn to God and he promises to forgive now, know that God forgives. Uh, there's often consequences. We can ask God to forgive uh, the sin that we've uh, taken part in. And sometimes there's consequences as a result of those sins. But we are certainly able to be forgiven and freed from the sin. So we receive the promise that God will hear, the promise that God will forgive, and the promise that God will heal. He says, I will heal their land. Now he's, he's talking here uh, to the Israelites. He's talking here to King Solomon and looking at that 
that national blessing for the nation of Israel. As God's people, if they were committed to God's plan, God was going to be faithful to send healing to them. They were to be a light and, and a blessing to other nations that were around them. And, and I believe God's desiring that same thing for you and for me today. Many are in need of repair. Many are in need of restoration. We long for healing in our bodies, healing in our emotions, healing in our spirits, healing in our families, healing in relationships, all types of things. Our country is certainly in need of God's hand of healing upon so many different situations that we face. And as well, we are to be that godly influence in our homes, in our community, in our country, and in the world. And so God has promised that if we would become His people, if we would follow the plan that He's laid out for us, we will receive His promises. He promises to hear. You can take that promise to the bank. He promises to forgive, and He promises to heal. You see, the choice, though, it's up to you and it's up to me. God doesn't force us. Well, we've got to make up our own minds. Israel continued to sway back and forth between serving God and, and turning and, and serving other nations and, and their gods. They would obey and disobey back and forth. In the end, they were removed from their land. They, they, they faced so many uh, issues of turmoil from other lands that God would allow to come in and to judge. What about you? What about me? What are we doing as we respond to the message from today? The first encouragement is we must become God's people. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you have a personal relationship with Him? If not, I, I want to invite you to become a child of God, to surrender your heart to Him, to become God's people. He said, if my people who are called by my name, we've got to become His people, His child. But then are you following God's plan? Are you following the things that He talks about when it comes to humility and prayer and seeking His face and turning from wicked and evil and sinful ways? I want to encourage you uh, to do the things that God has called in His plan in order then to receive those promises of God. The promises of hearing, forgiving, and healing. Let us be God's people. Let us be God's people who follow God's plan. And as we are God's people, following God's plan will receive God's promises.